Hello and welcome to the Professional Insight Podcast, Season 6. Um, still don't know the episode, really doesn't really matter, but we have an amazing guest today um, that all four of us are extremely excited because uh, we've talked pretty passionately about um, about the Bank of Canada, their interest rates, their monetary policy, the Canadian government's fiscal policy or lack thereof. Um, so my name is Brandon Curry. Uh, if you could bring up, bring us all up there. I'm Jeff Collins. Josh Bond. And Trevor. Beautiful. Sorry for anyone that's watching. Uh, Trevor is just the connections just in and out, but don't worry. And our guest today, Dr. Jim Thorne. How are you, sir? I'm, I am going to formally, I have, I have something, I have something written. Okay. Uh, no. You can get into your career, but like I have something written. So uh, Dr. Thorne has a PhD in economics in the fields of finance and industrial organization from York University, good old T.O. boy, and worked as a professor of economics and finance in the Schulich School of Business and at Bishop's University. Uh, currently, um, he is he's, he's joined with Wellington Altus, has, which is a private wealth, and he's the chief market strategist. Now, before joining Wellington Altus, um, he was a, he held various senior investment and management positions in the U.S., including chief economist at a major U.S. financial institution, which uh, you can get into. Um, Dr. Thorne, thank you very much for joining the Professional Insight Podcast. Thanks for uh, having have me. you on. Honored to have you on, Doc. Thanks. So we're honored. We are honestly so humbled that you could carve out some time today. Um, so let's just quickly go through so our listeners and our viewers um, can uh, get some context to your experience. If you want to briefly go over your career, I mean, I kind of touched on your education. Um, and do you want me to refer to you as Dr. Thorne? Do you find with me calling you Jim? Jim is great. Okay. What if I call you Doc? Is that okay? You can do that, Doctor J. Whatever you want. Doctor J. That's done. All right. Can you just please go over your career? I just need to just just a brief synopsis. Uh, sure. So back to the Warren Buffett connection. Right. So so I um I I was finishing off my PhD. I taught at Bishops. I wanted to get into the business. I met this guy named Tom Caldwell, who rents Caldwell Securities. He, in the 90s, he taught me the business. I got very high profile in Canada. Um, and then what happened was the headhunters came and uh, I got, uh, I moved to Buffalo. And the, and, the, and the question was, why Buffalo? And there was this bank called m &T Bank. It's a Buffalo bank. But more importantly, it was um, the chairman of the bank, Bob Wilmers, was a very close friend of Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett had given them a convertible preferred and M&T Bank went on this spree of mergers and acquisitions. And when I joined, it was about 970th in uh, the United States. And when I left, it was number 10. So I went through about seven mergers nice. and I, moved, I lived in Buffalo for two years and then I moved around the United States for 20 and I ended up in New York, uh, sorry, I ended up in DC. So it was, I worked for Buffett Bank. I worked all the way up to, like I was chief, chief uh, economist. I was global macro strategist. I was CIO. And so I got to see, you know, the, the, it was a very humbling experience because of the, 
the the ability and the resources I got to do my research, the exposure I got. And then at the same point in time, you know, I have a weird mixture of because I am a, a classically trained economist on the one hand. And then I met this guy named Tom Caldwell, who taught me the brokerage industry on the bottoms up. And I've taken accounting since I was in grade nine and my undergraduate degree was in business. I have a weird view of 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 looking at the world. And I guess it's funny. You guys, I don't know if you guys have seen the uh, seen Oppenheimer, the movie, but there's this great line when 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 Niall Bohr goes to Oppenheimer. It's not about looking at the equations. Right. It's about whether or not you can hear the music. Right. And I have this weird knack of basically get, standing back and being able to uh, look at the view of what's going on in a global macro sense and to piece things together. And so that's kind of my value proposition. And it's it stood me well. I decided to come back home. Uh, you know, I've been back home for a couple of years and uh, I'm helping to grow an independent platform called Wellington Altus. And uh, that's my story. And I'm sticking to it. Ah, nice. Where's back home? It's not Amazing. Buffalo, right? Where's back home? No, it's, I, grew up in Don, I grew up in Don Mills. So okay. I grew up in Don Mills. I grew up uh, Don Valley Parkway in Lawrence Avenue. And I'm old enough to, uh, you know, uh, remember what, when my dad bought the house, it was, uh, he bought in a, uh, 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 an area that was basically E.P. Taylor's farm that was being developed. So farmland started in north of the 401 and the 401 and the Don Valley Parkway ended at the 401 and it became Don Mills Road. So um, no farmland no, there now, right? No farmland. <laughs> no, but it's weird. But but, you know, the weird, th- the wonderful thing about Toronto is the fact that how quickly we, we, we do urban renewal, which is <laughs> which is so unique to any other urban city that I've been exposed to in North America. Right. So so I, I had the benefit. I think the interesting aspect I have coming back home is is the fact that you know, um, we have a unique, what's, what's interesting to me about Canada is that we are so global in our points of view, right? But yet we are, so, and I don't know, you should probably ruffle some feather, but we are so provincial in the way that we we invest. Right? 100%, yep. absolutely. Right, Canadians are so over, and if you, if we were sitting there in the, in the city of London and we were running a macro shop, right, we maybe have three to 5% of our portfolio in Canada, right? <laughs> Not 50 to 60%. And, you know, in the old days, you had to have it in your RSPs because of tax requirements. Now you can invest wherever you want in the world. Yet people I find in Canada are tied to investing in Canada. And that's just so wrong. You know, it is, um, we are, just for just for the, the record for everyone that's watching, obviously, Dr. J is a huge Bills and Leafs fan, so we love him already, um, <laughs> except for Trevor. Very good taste. Except for Trevor. He's a Montreal yeah. Canadiens fan. It is what it is. And that's you know, why we, we don't let have... his camera work good there. We don't want to <laughs> talk. with the Donalda club? We cut him out. Isn't that in the North? Donalda? Yeah. Oh, that was my first job as a caddy. No way. That was yeah. a fine course down there in the North End, eh? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I used to ride my bike and go. I take the take. I would I would lock my bike and then I would walk underneath the sewer grate under the Don Valley Parkway and I go and I'd caddy for two day, uh, two rounds a day. That was my first job. Yeah, nice. Hey, Doc, I got a question for you. You mentioned something about urban renewal. Can yeah. you uh, elaborate on that a little touch bit? Touch on that. Great question. Okay. Well, so if you if when I so I lived in Annapolis, which is like akin to akin to uh, Oakville relative to Washington, D.C. 
my office, my office was in, in Baltimore, which is a really interesting story because of the fact that why would that, why would Baltimore be a big dive, a big buy side town when it's a dump? Right. And it, it, it really comes down to the fact that back in the eighties, wall street wouldn't finance innovation. Think about Bitcoin and blockchain today. Right. And there were two cities that did San Francisco in Baltimore and Baltimore through uh, Deutsche Alex Brown basically financed Cisco, Microsoft and what have you. Right. Okay. So my office was there and, and you would take the kids to the Baltimore zoo and you would drive by beautiful row houses that in the city here, we would, we would uh, uh, urbanize. Like think of cabbage town, for example. And in the States, it just lays squalor. Right. Downtown Buffalo, for example, there are a portion of downtown Buffalo that have not been renewed since the rate riot race riots in the 1970s. Urban renewal just doesn't happen in the United States where it does here. Right. And so I when we moved back, I, I, I initially located in Lorne Park, which is out by Oakville. But we moved back down into the city. My girls, I have two girls and, uh, and my wife. and We want to live downtown. So, you know, we found an area called um called the uh, 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 the Junction Triangle, right? And and what's happening in the Junction, junction Triangle it used to be the old Portuguese in between po- the, 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 the Polish village and the Portuguese village. That's massive urban renewal, right? Houses are being renovated. That is so unique to Canada. That is so unique to Toronto, right? That I don't, just don't think people realize that. So basically you're saying it's like an older area, in an urban area, it gets either torn down or, or gentrification, fully rejuvenated, right? Yeah. Oh, right. Well, what's happening is, mummy. So, so, so the grandparents are moving out, and they're coming in, and they're they're coming in and, and buying. I mean, out in out in Lorne Park by Oakville. I mean, they're taking. Well, forget about that. In Don Mills, I drove by my parents' house. They're basically leveled as a. It's a you know built in 1957. That place has been leveled, and they're building a monster home on it with no yeah. backyard. Yeah, see, right? I, I, I love that personally as a builder and developer. I, I like seeing that happen. It, there's an example of it in Welland. I'm a small town close to Niagara Falls in Canada. And they added a brand new public school on the bad side of town, let's just say. And it just all from that, everybody from out of town bought. They all fixed up. They tore down. There's brand new subdivisions going up everywhere. And it's really jacked the values, almost comparable to the north side of town now where it was nowhere close before. Sure, so I know. It's a good I, example. Yeah, I know that area well. I mean, my dad's American, right? He grew up in Brooklyn, and and he got his my grandfather got transferred to St. Catharines uh, during the war, oh. and, and so so and that's when St. Catharines was a massive a manufacturing town, making um, breaks and differentials, and they'd ship them across the border. And you know, remember Buffalo used to manufacture cars. <laughs> Right. And so I know like before I left, well, here's the story back in the going to to frame it back in the late 80s. And that was the last real estate bubble that we had. Right. In the savings and loan crisis. Um, My wife and I basically scraped money together and we bought a little cottage on Butler in Niagara on the Lake. Right. So I knew I've known Niagara on the Lake and Welland in that area since I was a kid. Right. I mean, my cousin still lives there um, in, in St. Catharines. He's a world he was a world champion rower, Brian Thorne. And so it's very interesting to see how how it's starting. It's starting to ter- change. But what's really interesting, guys, is living in the United States and, and, and traveling. So the thing with Buffett was um, his 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 plan was this. 
own, he wants market share in tier two and tier three towns. He does not want to have big market share in tier one towns because you don't make any money. Yeah, right. So, so we would, I, I would be in middle. I, the majority of my time was spent in flyover country, in Pennsylvania, Ohio, West Virginia, uh, New York, and and you know you sit there and you see these towns that have never been, never been, you know, since the the Rust Belt, never been. Um, there's no rejuvenation. But what's interesting is when you go to places like London, Ontario, or Peterborough, you get the same type of vibe. Yeah. Right. These and even so to a certain extent, St. Catherine that used to be these industrial manufacturing towns, right? They, they, that they, they no longer exist, right? And you know, it's 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 not that poverty in the United States is 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 not unique to to new uh, uh, citizens into the United States, specifically the, the Hispanics or the African Americans. It's 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 white as well. When you get away. From the from the urban the, the high class urban areas it gets fast I mean just remember what Joe Burroughs remember the, the his no his um his Heisman speech uh, when he talked about you know you know in in Ohio you know the poverty level being twice the average of the national level you get to Ohio in Pennsylvania guys the abject poverty is stark right yeah. and, and that's but that's but you know what that leads to the view that the adjustments that we are seeing right now in the economy, right, and the rise of populism that we're seeing right now, which is forcing change economically speaking, is exactly what should be happening, right? And I'm a big cycle guy, right? So this is exactly what's happening. And so what we're doing is we're going through this period of time of extreme cyclical adjustments and structural adjustment. And as long as you understand that, and you understand that context, then you look at this as an opportunity, right? Mm-hmm. And 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 from there, if you do that, then then you you look at all these investment opportunities and say, look, I hope people don't catch on, because you know, uh, in our business, which is investing, it's a zero sum game, right? I want the dumb money at the table, right? Because yeah, right, exactly. So, because that makes it easier for us, right? Sure, of course. In my perspective. Now, I the, what what brought you to our like? Well, I mean, I, I've been watch I watch BNN Bloomberg every single morning, um, and and that is just something that I follow. Um, but I'm going to show there's there's two clips if we have time today. The first clip um, I'm going to show a, a, a caption of a of a seven and a half minute clip. Um, of Jim's response to basically the July 0.25% quarter of a basis, uh, uh, 25 basis points uh, uh, increase to the overnight lending rate. Um, so I'll allow that to speak for itself. We'll play it for about two minutes. It's not that long, but it'll give context. And then I have questions to follow up uh, on that. So Rookie, if you don't mind um, playing that clip for us, that'd be great. For 2024 growth suggests a bit of a slowdown from 2023 at 1.2%. How would you characterize that number? At optimistic, pessimistic? Uh, no, it's it's pretty realistic. Yeah. I mean, especially considering how the second half is shaping up. I think the handoff into 2024 is going to be a little bit firmer. 
Uh, and you can get a pretty decent number there, even if the economy starts to trip up a little bit in the, in the first half of the year. Jim. You guys are you guys are living in an alternative universe to what I look at, right? I mean, I mean, I keep hearing the economy strong. Well, okay, last print in GP, GDP was zero. How is that strong? How is that strong? Um, and I, I just I, I just shake my head, right? I mean, so is it, are we going to in two months? If fifty percent of CPI is is by mortgage interest cut, is that going to be high enough? Is that going to be high enough for the Bank of Canada? Pick up on uh, Robert's point, and I know you wanted to. At the end of the break, he was saying this is about risk management. It's not about dealing with the data that is in front of you. The risk is to the upside on inflation, so that's what you have to manage. The second largest economy in the world is in deflation. PPI in this country is that's negative 6.4%. There are deflationary pressures all over the place that we are whistling by the graveyard that people are ignoring. So timestamp this for the Bank of Canada, because I'm going to love to see what they say in a couple of months, right? Because if they hammer the housing market, there is nothing in this economy but housing and energy, and energy is not a growth sector. It is wrong. Just one last page. It is wrong for the Bank of Canada to assume that this economy is the same as the United States, which is a diversified economy. The Bank of Canada is making a massive policy mistake here. <laughs> oh God, I love you, Jim. Like oh, you are the man, Jim. That's exactly oh, you what are I the hear. man. I am telling you. So our 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 uh, podcast right after that was F U B O C. Um, that was the title <laughs> of our podcast. Um, so I, okay, I have so we have so many questions on this because uh, there's another. What was the CPI this morning, guys? In the states? Uh, yeah. Yeah. One. It was zero point. One six five percent, which they rounded up to 0.2 percent. And, and what I put on my Twitter feed is, I wish the BLS was basically marking up my undergraduate grades. Right? <laughs> right? Like, how do you do that? How do you have a forecast of 0.2 and then round up to 0.2 just to make yourself look good? It's, no, it was below forecast. It was below forecast. We're in deflation. China. What's interesting in all this is the fact that now the narrative, see, see what, what we're just doing, right? What, what's my, what's my view, right? It's, it's, we're, we're time arbiters, right? We're basically arbing time, right? That, that we're, and so look, those that think that deflation that is happening in China is not going to go to South Korea and is not going to go to Japan and it's not going to work our way to our shore are wrong. And the, the other thing that I would just say where, where the risk in all of this comes is that if you look at Japan, right, they claimed victory over inflation three times and it's still in deflation. Deflationary pressures. So let's talk about it. debt, right, digitization, demographics and the overcapacity of the global economy. Nothing has been solved. In fact, they're stronger than they were. Right. So if we go back to a post COVID world, the deflationary forces are tight, are stronger than they were. Plus this this fallacy that jobs creates inflation or the Phillips curve is just so wrong. And you see them walking away from it. The other thing that's bizarre is think about this. They sat there in front end loaded rates. The guy that wanted the front end loading rates, that 
forced this policy on the, in the United States was a guy named Jim Bullard. He just resigned. Think about this. The regional banking crisis in the United States has not been solved. Okay? And the risk, think about uh, 2007. So we just, we just lapped one of the biggest events in the 2007-2008 crisis which was the first shot across the bow, was Northern Rock in the UK going belly up, right? We have learned nothing. We have absolutely learned nothing. And it's not about inflation going to 2%. It's going to go to 2%. Everybody knows that core inflation lags headline inflation, okay? Everybody knows that. That The problem is, is that the Fed hiked rates to an extreme level where debt to GDP is at levels that we have not seen since World War II. And the credit the credit market, or Fitch, has finally come out being the adult in the room saying, stop. Now, here's the big risk down the road. When the sugar high of fiscal policy wears off, right? The argument when you talk to the guys at the IMF and the World Bank in D.C., that we're going to go to growth below trend. But the view is it's going to be okay because fiscal policy is going to be able to support economic growth, a la the Marshall Plan coming out of World War II. Well, guess what? Fitch just basically downgraded the debt. We have spent yep. our money way too early. So that means that we've got deflationary forces emulating. The atomic bomb of deflation just went off in China. How long does it take till it gets here, right? And when it breaks, the problem is, is that cutting rates don't solve it. So when you hear people say the risk is inflation, that's bunk. We know how to solve inflation. The real risk is deflation. And if it goes back to it, we have more debt to GDP, right? Personal debt. The disposable income in this country is 180%, 87%, the highest in the G7, right? That's not me talking. That's the OECD talking. You know, if you look at the StatsCan data, 30% of our inflation is caused by the Bank of Canada raising rates. The model that the Bank of Canada uses is a second-year macroeconomic model. It got so bad that the stats can put it in the second paragraph of their report. Rate hikes are inflationary. <laughs> is that I, just, just, that just Macklem calling you? Yeah. Oh my God. Like <laughs> I, I can't, I can't like, Oh, this is amazing. Okay, great. This is great. <laughs> so, um, Trevor and I, and like, we all have a ton, a ton of, um, uh, questions uh, to, to go for that. So let's put some context. I mean, okay. Um, we all know that, and we've said this on the show before, um, you know, monetary policy for, for our listeners and for people that are watching, we, there's a lot of verbiage that goes on in, in, you know, in this, especially when we get Dr. J in the room. So, which is like, I'm geeking out right now. You have no idea. Um, so it takes 12 to 18 months for any monetary policy from a, from a, a, the bank of Canada or the fed to work its way through the system. Um, so basically rate hikes that we've seen back in Q1 of 2022 are only starting to be seen and starting to be felt right about now. 
Um, case in point, uh, and please correct me if 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 my theory's off, um, uh, Dr. J. But employment numbers is 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 a metric that Trevor and I have mentioned on this podcast multiple times. Um, I sat in a information session. Um, CI Investments, I'm sure you're uh, uh, familiar with CI Investments. Um, and they were mentioning about how one of the metrics that they use, which is non-farm payroll data, and how they kept reporting these job numbers that kept on growing in the US and in Canada. And what that is to our listeners and to people that are watching, it's people who are not on a farm or anything seasonal. So they strip out the, 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 that data. So it's non-farm payroll data. But the problem with it is every job they count as an individual. So, you, so but that in reality, and as I said to you in, in my email when, when, when I introduced myself, I'm sitting with people as a certified financial planner, and they have two jobs to make ends meet. So this data that this this employment data that they're using as a guide and as a metric is it's 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 basically seeing that jobs are picking up. But at the reality that they're like, oh, unemployment is still too high. Well, unemployment is you're not you're not using the metric. Can you just maybe speak on to that? Yeah, it's 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 well, first, the the traditional economic variables that we use today were developed in the 1940s to measure a 1930s economy, okay? So they're in, in a digital economy, in a gig economy, you, they're, they're wrong, right? So, oh, so, yes. so, so there's, that's one. Two, let's look at the last numbers in the United States, right? I think, you know, we had a, a small, a smaller than expected job growth. But what they do is basically a majority of those jobs were basically created out of an assumption called the birth death assumption, right? And guys, when I talk about this, this is well known in smart money. Mm -hmm. world right i mean these guys that do this are too busy making money for their clients to go on to cnbc or bnn right so so the birth death assumption basically added two hundred and eighty thousand k right what is the birth death assumption it's taken off of this thing called the 1099 right and here, here's what happened think about a couple of years ago it used to be in the old economy that for you to file a 1099 in the united states was you were you were considered a new account you were considered a business and then the BLS, oh, you're a new business, a small business. That means if you're going to start, well, if there's a new business, we're going to assume that every new business that starts, we're going to, there, there are going to be people that uh, are, are going to get hired because you can't start a new business by yourself. And the threshold, I think, was 20 grand, right? They reduced that down to $500. So why is that important? Every Uber bicyclist that you see on the road, today if we were living in the united states would be filing a 1099 okay and the bls would say that's a new company no it's not no it's not no. it's that's just one example sole uh, proprietor right beg your pardon it's sole proprietor yeah it's a sole proprietor but but the point is is that the bls hasn't adjusted yes the bls hasn't adjusted to any of this and so the question when you start going through this is do they know this Right. And and I would suggest to you that the, the folks at the Fed and the folks at the Bank of Canada and the folks at Stats can and the folks at the, the bank, the Bureau of Labor Statistics know this. But they're you know, it's it, you're you're you know, on, on the statistical side, you're 
you're, you know, if you're a statistician, you're just following the rules, right? I'm doing this because that's the process that's in place, right? So let's think about this in Canada, right? And here's going back to, you want to talk about the bizarre nature of it, right? So interest rates, when you think about it, is the price of credit. When the price of credit goes up, it has effects on the supply side. So we're all worried about the, the housing market in Toronto and the lack and the supply demand and, and the supply issues are, 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 are there. Uh, last job number in Canada, right? Negative 40,000, 45,000 job growth in construction. That's right. Okay. And a subset of that is, 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 is housing, right? Higher cost of capital constrains, constrains supply and is inflationary. Everybody knows it. They know it. You know, it's, you know, a guy named Wright Pat Prattman, who was a congressman in the States in the 1970s, was attacking the Fed. And his famous words are putting, raising rates to fight inflation is like putting gasoline on a fire to douse the flames. They know this. They know that interest rates are causing inflation. Right. And if you go back to before COVID and where I got this right was, you know, um, you know, Ben Bernanke. One of the great things about living in Annapolis is I could basically and, and having a big office in Baltimore is you could go into D.C. and ha- all the think tanks were in, in D.C. So you would uh, the, every day there was a wonderful presentation. And I remember Ben Bernanke uh, giving a presentation saying, look, this isn't about the 1970s and this isn't about Japan. It's about the, our, our roadmap is the 1940s to the 1970s. Right. And so you see enough of these presentations and your mind gets you have an epiphany. Right. And so this is exactly what's happening. Right. We've got excessive levels of debt. Right. High is World War Two. In 46 to 48, we had 10% inflation, and they couldn't raise rates, right? And inflation came down when they contracted the balance sheet. But what was the echo of effect of that? You got a recession and you got deflation, right? And and they never touched it again because everybody thought in the 19... 40s and 1950s that they were going to go back to deflation. They were going to go back to the 1930s, right? That's what's staring in front of us. Like nobody learns from history. And so, and so when you look at this and everybody is so comfortable in claiming victory on inflation, right? The commercial real estate market crashing in the United States and prices going down in office buildings is a classic example of deflation and we are ignoring it it's a cl- and and and, and a, a really important economist named Irving Fisher who was this, who was a teacher of Milton Friedman and started the University of Chicago in the new inflation in the new American economic vision remember Chicago had more Nobel Prize winners than any other uh, school it's called the debt deflation risk Right. Once you get real estate prices going down, you can't stop it. And so all I'm saying is I lived in the States during 2008. I saw the effects of once once prices went down. And, and to be clear, when I was with, you know, working, working at M&T and Wilmington Trust, 
Well, it was at M&T first. We didn't because because we were clean. We were working with a bunch of Canadians. We had no exposure whatsoever, none, because we saw what happened, and it scared the bejeebus out of it. And I got the same feeling. This feels like 2007. Central bankers are claiming victory, just like Bernanke claimed victory in 2007 that there wasn't going to be a subprime crisis, right? It's, it's, it's going to manifest itself differently. Okay, regional banks and commercial real estate, but to sit there and say that the, the risk is inflation, come on. I mean, we've learned nothing from history. It's really depressing sometimes. So I just if you well uh, Corky, if we well can go said. to the if we if we can get to the five of us on the same screen, um, just because there's two other pieces that I want to uh, bring up that we've discussed on this on this podcast in quite length. And the first is I got a couple um, questions for Jim too after you're done, though, Curry. I guess right. No problem. Yeah, twelve to eighteen months is is the lag. Yep. Now, but they're using uh, uh, purchasing data, um, CPI data. Uh, you know, that is, it, they're saying it's still high, but because of supply chain issues. So for example, Trevor and, and I both put our name down for a, a new car, but that was 12 to 18 months ago because of supply chain issues. But that purchase, when we received that car or that bike or, you know, that vacations, you, you never buy it. You never purchase a vacation a week, a week ahead of time. It's very rare that that happens. It gets registered in the month that you actually take it or take possession. So they're reading this data as if, you know, um, Canadians specifically are doing going on this massive spending spree. But the reality is these these purchasing decisions were made 12 to 18 months ago under different economic conditions. And they're now locked in. And the second piece was, uh, uh, you know, a, a famed economist, which is Steve Hankey. Um, who famously told the Fed specifically to stop printing money and and the and the the U.S. government to really rein in their fiscal stimulus because of inflationary problems. And this is back in 2021. Hey guys, stop the printing of money because if you don't stop this, it, it's going to keep it's going to be a runaway runaway train, and you won't be able to rein it in. Do you want to speak to those two points? Sure. So I'll put my economist hat on. Right. So first, what you do is you 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 X out autos first off. Right. So retail sales in Canada X autos is over the last 12 months is negative one point five percent. And the 30 year average is four point six percent. Right. So as an economist, what you do is you just ignore autos completely. So if you ignore autos in the United States, in Canada, right. Uh, the economy is very weak, so you 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 hit on that, right? So so forget about autos, right? It's 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 again it's 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 a it's a it's a specious argument, right? In terms of lags, look, um, and 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 let's let's talk about real estate too, right? So if you look, if you look at alternative measures of CPI, right? If where you it, so for example, if you take out real estate which is lagged right cpi x shelter 1.5 percent 1.6 it's over right that is even before before the rate hikes kick in right inflation in japan is declining and they didn't raise hikes so everybody know i mean i shouldn't say everybody 
if we were taking a graduate school level macro course, everybody knows, or the answer to the question is you don't hike rates to solve supply shocks. Let the supply shocks work their way through. Alan Blinder wrote a very important paper in the early 1980s, which basically pointed to the fact that Paul Volcker was a false prophet. And if Paul Volcker just would have let the supply shocks, the twin supply shocks, go through, right, that everything would have been okay. And 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 and, and Robert Solo, famed Nobel economist, came up with the term that 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 uh, that Paul Volcker burnt down the house to roast the pig. He did not have to raise interest rates to solve this problem. And then if you would objectively look at what is going on, right? Raising rates makes the problem worse, not better. And that is, to me, um, the, 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 the thing that I wish, well, I wish more people would recognize. But then again, I don't because that provides me a, a platform to basically be the lone wolf, as you speak, to sit there and basically talk basic economic theory. And I'm willing to. I mean, think about that 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 BNN piece that you uh, showed. I mean, Amber, as a good journalist that she is, she went and asked Tiff Macklin the question. Right? I mean, all I did was read the front page of the StatsCan report that says 30% of of CPI is caused by mortgage interest costs. Right? And if you exit out. Inflation is at 2%, which is the midpoint of the Bank of Canada's legislative um, uh, target. I mean, all I did was I read the question in the midterm, right? I mean, StatsCan did a wonderful job and put it in the second paragraph, right? All I had to do was read it, right? Now, you know what, you know what my response is when I talk to people around the world and other people? They go, well, why did they do it? And, and, and this is when you get old. You know what you say? I don't know. <laughs> I have no clue, but but I'm reading it and I'm going, you got to be kidding me. So Amber, so there's a great thing is Amber asked him the question. And the, 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 the interesting thing is he could quote that line in the stats can report purveyor. He knew exactly what Amber was talking about. So they know, right? They know. It's just so is this a fight? Is this a fight between the Bank of Canada and Ottawa? Is this a fight between the Fed and 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 the Biden administration? I don't know. Here's one thing I will say to you. And I talked to the Fitch guys the other day, or I talked to somebody that talked to the Fitch guys. When COVID hit, right, the unique thing that they did, and this is going back to World War II, it's right? Like banshees? Right. They did, but what they did is differently, right? So the Fed. Powell invoked Section 13.3 of the Fed. And what that meant, it's a little, it's, a, it's never used before, but what it does is that he's basically became, the Fed became subordinate to the Treasury. And what the Fed said is, hey, Treasury, if you finance this account, which was called the Exchange Stabilization Fund, if you put in $450 billion, we will gross that up 10 times. We'll make it 4.5 trillion, okay? And you can spend that how you want. So what's different this time, as opposed to QE, and why Japan couldn't get out of all this problem, is what Powell did brilliantly, is he bypassed the banking sector, and he basically allowed the treasury 
to mainline $4.5 trillion into the economy as you basically contracted supply. So demand goes up, supply goes down, guess what? We've got inflation. So when you talk that, so the argument really wasn't, you know, where was the big miss in inflation? It was in the last four and a half trillion, so the $2.5 trillion that the Biden administration spent, let's say in 21, that was overkill, right? And that created the inflationary pressures that we have today. So what's interesting, if you go back and use before this time and you take like the S&P 500, okay, and you divide it by the size of the Fed balance sheet, okay, or you take the Wilshire, take whatever index you want, asset prices have not gone up. The only asset, there's two assets that have gone up relative to the benchmark of uh, the relative to the Fed balance sheet. One is the NASDAQ 100. The other is Bitcoin, hmm. right? So this whole argument that quantitative easing is, or QE is inflationary is bunk and everybody knows it, right? And, 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 and where it comes from is, 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 is it comes from, you know, so, so Milton Friedman, Milton Friedman said famously, inflation is everywhere and always a monetary phenomenon. But what he doesn't say is he's ripping it off of this guy, Irving Fisher, again. And it's called the Fisher theorem, right? And what that says is that is the velocity of money, for that to be true, the velocity of money is assumed to be constant, right? And the velocity of money has been going down, yeah. right? So, so that, that's where we're at, right there. I saw, so do I have kudos? Do I sit there and, 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 you know, hate the, I hate, I don't hate the player, right? I think, you know, I so saw, uh, let me be clear. Hate the game. Hate, hate the game. Right. So, so I think I am the, like, so don't get me wrong about Mr. Macklin. I think he's a very smart man, very cerebral man. He's got a PhD. I think, I think Mr. Chair Powell, really smart private equity guy. They get this. I think there's something else going on. Exactly. I don't know what's going on. But at the same point in time, with Fitch downgrading U.S. debt, right, the bond vigilantes and the credit markets have come back and said, that's it, girls, right, or boys. Yep. And then the second thing is think about what happened, right? Think about what happened is now Moody's comes and basically down to downgrades the regional banks. So let's go back and just hold on for one. Just humor me for a second with the regional banking crisis, right? There was a, there was a study done by the Kansas City Fed late in July of last year that said if you guys gun rates like you're doing, you are going to create a regional banking crisis. This was this was in July of last year. Why? Because what you did was you created all of this. So Powell created all of these reserves and they had to get, and they get stuck into the banking system, but no one wanted loans. So all of those, that money and deposits got into these small regional banks. Well, think about this. You're a small regional bank and guys, there's 4,800 of them, right? So it's like you go into, you go into Poughkeepsie and there's the Poughkeepsie savings and loan and there's 10 branches. Okay. They're all over the place. And your reserves go or your deposits go up from, let's say, 10 million to 100 million because of what the Fed did. <laughs> and, and so you're sitting there going, well, we have no loan demand. So guess what you do? We're going to be prudent and we're going to buy the U.S. 10-year bond. OK, 
the U.S. 10-year bond. And the, and, the, and the yield on that 10-year bond is 75 basis points. This is when they did it, right? And then we're going to put that security and we're going to put it into a hold to maturity on our balance sheet. And that's going to go against tier one capital, right? Yep. So guess what? 10-year goes sky high, right? You guys trade bonds, right? If, yep. if, 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 if the interest rate goes up, the price of the bonds go down. So that bond- They, they lost their do, shirt. They lost their shirt. And tier one capital, tier one capital is deteriorated. So then what, so what, what is, what does Powell do? He goes, well, I got to, I'm going to solve this. I'm going to use section 13.3 again. What I'm going to do is I'm going to go to the regional banks. I'm going to say, I'm going to do this for you. And they did this kind of back in 08. But what they're going to do is they say, regional bank, you've got a hundred million dollar bond, 10 year U.S. bond. Bring it to the discount window. We'll give you a hundred cents on the dollar and you can hold that that money for a year and you do not have to basically uh, uh, erase capital. We're buying time. Well, think about what happened. The 10 year at that point in time in March of 2023, of 20, uh, uh, the 10 year was about three. Okay. Where's the 10 year now? It's over four, right? By March of next year, that trade has to be reversed. And now you're going to get that bond back. And let's say it's not trading at 85 cents on the dollar. It's trading at 70 cents on the dollar, right? The, oh, big, risk, the big risk, and this is when Moody's kicked in, right? When if, if the 10-year bond, if you look at the chart of the 10-year yield in the United States, if it breaks north of four and a half, it's going to six. And if it goes to six, then, then the U.S. regional banking industry is like Wiley Coyote holding the crack firecracker it's gonna blow up right so that's when i keep saying guys look at there is only one thing they can do they gotta cut rates nothing has been solved nothing has been solved and in fact it's getting worse and you're doing that because of you're looking at a variable cpi that is being jacked up because you're lagging lagging real estate prices Okay, and if you take the real estate prices out, you are below target. What are you doing? That's all I'm saying. And the numbers are there. So, Dr. J. So, go ahead. Go ahead. Do you you think that as a result of, like, they, they put it off as though they're raising these rates to try and bring us to a soft landing. And, you know, maybe we've overshot, but we can always kind of pull back. That's kind of the story that, you know, they're spewing. So is it fair based on your opinion, I guess, to say that these rate hikes under the guise of a soft landing are really, really, really just there to cover their overspending? Uh, so, so, I mean, it, 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 it's a valid it's a valid. So do I know? No. I mean, is your point, should we, is your point, do we have a lot? Yes. Common sense says your point is right. Right. That these guys know what they're doing and they're basically trying to counteract and force uh, 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 Washington and Ottawa from to to stop spending. Right. And And to stop the sugar high. Yeah. But, Unfortunately, so Volcker talked about this openly in the 80s and he attacked 
uh, uh, Washington saying you're basically causing inflation by spending too much money. Mr. Powell, Mr. Macklin will not, for whatever reason, they won't touch this with a 10-foot pole, which I think is a little bit un unfortunate because their silence is an error of omission as far as I'm concerned. Right. Yes, I mean, totally I mean, agree Senator, with you. Senator Kennedy in, 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 in Chair Powell's testimony walked Powell to the trough of basically and, and Powell sheepishly said that the fiscal policy that is being taken by the Fed, uh, sorry, by the by 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 Washington is inflationary. Right. So, I mean, they but they hide behind they hide behind they're not supposed to be political. And what I would say, and I guess because I am not in those institutions, right, it, it, which is a fair point, I'm sitting there saying your silence is doing a disservice. Somebody needs to step up and say, stop it. That's why I think the, the yields in the credit market started to sell down because we got the rating agencies to basically say enough is enough, right? Enough is enough. Government, you're spending way too much and we're downgrading your debt, yep. right? And then you say, and then Moody goes to the Fed and says, look, guys, you keep doing what you're doing, then your view of a macro potential concerns are not tri tie attached to monetary policy is wrong. And March of next year is going to where the rubber meets the road and it's going to get nasty, yeah. right? So, so I think that, and, and, and the positive going back to this is this is different this time, is remember that in in 07 and 08, the rating agencies, you know, all the subprime debt was AAA rated, right? What's different this time is I think the rating agencies are getting ahead of it and they're starting to be the adult in the room and say, Good. guys, nothing's been solved here. You guys got to stop this. Both of you were wrong. Stop it, or or it's going to get nasty. So I think that's positive because what are you seeing? You're seeing the yield starting to come down, right, in the market. That's good. The U.S. dollar is firming, right? You're also seeing in the ECB, and this is my point when I wrote the article in the Globe and Mail, is look, there is a con credit contraction in Europe happening, and the Uber hawks on the ECB are pivoting right now, right? So it may be that the Fed is the last central banks to hike, Right? It may be, I'm uh, sorry, cut, cut. But my whole point with, with the Bank of Canada is, you know, uh, 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 Chile cut a th 100 basis points. Brazil cut 100 basis points. Japan didn't go along with this. Deflation in China, right? And the ECB is pivoting. And we've got 187% personal debt or household debt, the disposable income, highest in G7. To assume that we are the United States in a diversified economy is just wrong. It's just plain wrong. It's a massive policy mistake. And we're, we're going to rue the day because living in the United States, living in one of the, the most affluent counties in the United States, watching the carnage that happened when real estate prices started to go down. And remember, the Fed started cutting and it didn't do anything. And given the fact that the and I'm not arguing that real estate prices in Canada are high. We didn't break, okay? No. Didn't break from 2008, right? I understand how high high real estate prices are, 
but to blow up the real estate market. Okay. So if you're going to do that bank account, this is just my point, right? Then as I say to the teams and our clients, right? Why would you own Canadian banks? Right? I mean, the laws of thermodynamics do apply up here in Canada. Yeah. Right. I mean, what you think that if we blow up the Canadian real estate market, right? That, you know, like, you know, the Canadian banks aren't on the hook. Brookfield isn't on the hook. Do you think all of a sudden, all of a sudden, every we're going to blow this thing up and there's not going to be carnage, right? I saw it. Suicides, bankruptcies, right? Folks moving away. You guys have no clue what the pain was like and what the fear was like. And I was living in D.C. Think about Florida got wiped out. Vegas, it was like a bomb got dropped. Right. If that's what we're going to go to. Right. Think about this in the 80s. John Crow did this, blew up the real estate market in southern Ontario. Real estate prices in Forest Hill went down almost 50 percent. Think about that. So uh, I am. So, okay. there's a couple things. So first, we need to have you on again. Uh, We're going to have you on again. Like you, the, the, the text going back between us all, like, it's just it, like, it's just crazy. The amount of, it, it, we're in awe. This is amazing. This is absolutely amazing. Uh, thank you again for coming on. Uh, we still have a lot more time in our episode. Uh, yep. Bondo, do you have anything else to follow up with that? Yeah. I just don't know how much of Dr. Jay's time we have. Right. So I don't want to usurp too much of it. Uh, I, my, my only other comment is what are the prospects that we're going to experience that, uh, that shift in the the residential market where I think we're seeing a little bit in the commercial right in Toronto and stuff like that. Uh, I, I, it now, now it's going to be weird, right? Cause you now you're going to think I'm in a parallel universe, right? <laughs> um, look at, I've been bullish on the markets. Me too. Right. Um, you know, early late last year, I said 4,800 on the S and P right. Um, we're not, we're going to have a soft landing. Right. Um, you know, and it's because of the fiscal policy that we have. Right. Um, my whole concern more, more, more is about the fact that the Federal Reserve and the Bank of Canada, I use an economic term, like a second derivative. You're raising rates to 10 percent does not increase or 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 accelerate the adjustment process of the economy. Right. All it does is it puts that financial crisis risk on the table and it amplifies it. Right. Yep. So so I'm of the view that. It, you know, we're going to have a soft landing. I'm of the view that Tiff Macklin actually knows this and they're going to pull back. And we're at that abyss, right? We're, we're right teetering. We're teetering on the edge. But if we pull back, right, and we just let the glide path work, let it work. Like we talked about earlier, you've got a lot of rate hikes in. I think they I think they raised two and a half percent too much. You know what they want to do. And it's true. Go back to pre-COVID, right? They, the Bank of Canada and the Fed. Are, in, in my mind, they want to get the Fed funds rate and the Bank of Canada overnight rate to two to two and a half percent. OK, if we do that, right, one. And then if we get inflation and inflation comes down. Right. And then I think what they're going to do. And, and, and the ECB just came out with a report on this yesterday is about real estate is no longer the go to investment asset class in Europe. Right. So what happened in the 90s, guys, is we went through this. Right. And then what you do, if they can, if they if they hit the perfect golf shot, then what happens is, is you get, you know, the tenure in the U.S. and we get the tenure down and we get and we get mortgages down. 
to the point where real estate grows at its natural, its natural average, right? Yes. Which is about 4%. So if we can get the mortgages, let's say at 375, right? At 375, and a hypothetical, of yep. course, right? Then what happens is demographics come into it, which is why I think we're going to have a secular bull market until 32, because it's the oh, millennials. Yes, sir. And it's the gender. This is this time. It's not different. Take out the millennial. Take out the boomers. Put in, put in the, the millennials and the younger generation. Real estate grows nicely, but it's not the go-to investment class. What the go-to investment class it ends up being is the stock market, right? The stock market. So you and figure right a, now the market. The market is the play. Not the market is the play. And so think about this. And, and, and so what happens, right? Well, think what happened in the 1990s. You know, President Clinton talks about how hey, we balanced the budget. Well, the reason why he had a surplus was because everybody was day trading, right? And and, and, and revenues came into everybody and re massive revenues came into the government because everybody was making a lot of money trading their non their 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 taxable account. And that made a lot of money for the government. I'm not saying it's going to be exactly like that, but what we need to do is we need to get interest. So, so, so if they hit a perfect golf shot, then we go back to two to two and a half percent overnight rates. And then the real rate, and this is, and this is Stanley Fisher, who's the godfather of all these bankers, right? I remember seeing a presentation of his in DC and somebody asked them a question about the dot plots and he laughed at them. And he said, the dot plots are, he, I, I'm, I'm Perry. Even Stanley would never say it. Does. He's a very nice man. He's very, he would never talk as crass as I am, right? I grew up in Scarborough, right? I'm a Scarborough girl, right? <laughs> there you go. So, 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 you know, very polished. But really what it come down to, Stanley Fisher was, took, took homage on this gentleman, young man who asked him the question. And he basically said politely that the only number you look on on the SEP is, is, is the terminal rate of the real rate of funds, right? The terminal rate. And if you look at the terminal rate, the real rate, so that's, that's the inflation rate, you know, the, 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 the overnight rate plus minus the inflation rate. It's 50 beeps. Powell talked about that in his last Q&A. So, guys, right now, if you use core, right, we'll look at it now, right? If you use core, well, if you, you, if you take out real estate, right, real rates in the United States are 3.2%, the highest they've been in in four decades. Okay. They got to cut. If they get inflation down, then, inf then, then, then you're looking at 3% cuts in the rates just by basic math, just by basic math. Forget about all the noise in the Kabuki theater, right? What they want to do is they want to hit a perfect golf shot, right? And they want to have the overnight rate 50 bapes higher than inflation. So if they can get inflation to two and the overnight rate at two and a half, then you get the 10 year at 350. Mortgages in the United States are priced off that. You got the 10-year, the mortgages are basically anchoring around 4%, let's just say, which is the, the historical rate of, 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 of growth in the real estate market in the United States. And then we grow demographically, right? And the millennials and, and you know, and, and, and what happens? You've got migration and demographics. People are moving to different areas, right? Right? People are leaving California and going to Texas. Right. People are going to Arizona. People are going to Florida. Right. And, and, and home building is going to be great. I mean, look at the home builders in the United States are doing great. Right. You hit you do that. But then you have a, a period of time where real estate, where, 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 where the, the, the equity asset class outperforms. Right. 
then then all of a sudden if I have 200 grand and I want to invest, maybe I don't buy an investment property, maybe I give it to my broker. Right? And so what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to look back in history and say how the hell do you get out of this? And 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 if you can create that it's called financial repression. So this is what they did in the 50s. And when Volcker got into power, right? Debt to GDP was at 35%. And all they did was they grew the nominal GDP, right? All they did was grew it. The size of the balance sheet relative to uh, 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 the GDP went substantially down. Why? Because they grew nominal GDP. That's what we need to do. That's what I think they're going to do. So where I differ from the consensus is this is not the 1970s. This is more like the, from 1945 to 1970 with a lot of the 1990s um, uh, 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 shaken in, right? Take out Japan, put in China, take out the internet, put in AI, put in, put in blockchain, put in the fact that we need investment-led growth, right? Investment as a percentage of GDP on the private sector goes from 16% to 22%. We have a period of time and we grow. And then typically what happens is by 32, we probably have a bubble, right? The, the evaluations of the equity market are stupid, right? People think that the business cycle is over because of AI and blockchain. This time it's different. It's never different, but it, 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 fits the narrative of how do you get out of the debt deflation cycle. It fits the narrative of reducing debt as a percentage of GDP. And it fits the cycle that it's the only thing we can do to get out of this, as a, uh, except maybe what they call a debt jubilee, where we write all the debt off. I don't know how else we get do this without blowing up the Western world, right? So there, that that's that's my framework. That's my point of view. That's my ethos. Yeah, no, that's good. That's it. I mean, intelligible for sure. Right. Jim, I got one yeah. question. I I want I wanted you to give me your best idea. When do you think Bank of Canada will start dropping rates? What's your What's your timeline? I know what you want done, but when do you think TIFF will? Oh, gee whiz, that's a okay. So my view has always been uh, November or December. Okay, so this year, this year, sooner. So, yeah. So, so let me just let me just let me just. So we've got. So I'm just going to do this right now. Okay. So just, in Q4 then. This year. That would be. But you know what? I. But I might be. I might be. Um. I might be. Okay. So let's just. So I, I'm just looking at w, the 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 predict for the probabilities right now, and and I'm looking at the market is starting to price in. Uh, a probability that they're going to cut in December. Very small, very small. But I think they pause first, right? But, and so is it the first quarter? I mean, is it the first quarter of 24? Or is it the fourth quarter? I I think that the last 50 basis point hike that the Bank of Canada did was extremely misguided. And so with that, I think they may cut earlier because of that. This narrative of higher for longer is, it's, it's, is pushed by people that are living 
in a in the cone of silence and ignoring the fact of the massive amounts of debt that exist in the economy and the Western economy, right? And the fact that guys in 08, when they blew the world up, what got us out of it was China leveraging, okay? China's got 50 over $50 trillion worth of debt. China is well on its way to Japan. We don't have China saving us this time, right? And leverage. That's why Canada basically basically did the big stick save and got away from it because we were an export-led growth. We had resources. And China basically bought everything from us because what did they do? They levered up and they blew up over capacity and they pitched this Belt Road Initiative, which mm-hmm. didn't come to fruition, but that saved Canada, right? Didn't save the United States. So, 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 so our financing was a little different though, too, Dr. J, right? Like, I mean, in terms of the length of our loans and stuff like that, right? I, totally. think that- I mean, the bank account, I mean, you, we have to tip our hat to the Canadian banks, right? Yeah. I mean, and, and, and what they For their did, advertisations, right? Right. So when I talk yeah. about why would you own a Canadian bank, it's not because they're not the best run banks in the world. They are. Right. But sometimes even the best run banks can't go against the, basically the, uh, the cycle. Right. And, and, and if we make a mistake and we blow up the debt deflation cycle, not that no manager in the world can protect yourself from from the forces of, of, of the market. Right. So um, I, I but, you know, here here's what it comes down to, guys. Look, it's going to be what the market thinks. Right. And the market is already thinking and pricing it in. And they know they know that they and this is what exactly what happened in 95. The market is basically moving earlier, saying you guys can't you guys are dreaming. Right. You guys are dreaming. You guys think that you're going to be able to basically have this level of debt and have this level of interest rate. Interest rates on on federal debt or debt in the United States is over a trillion dollars. It's over a trillion dollars. Right. It's more than the defense budget. And it's yet to kick in. And Janet Yellen and the Fed and the Treasury is now issuing all these all this debt. So by basic math, I say they have to move. But I, to, to, to be clear. Right. I think they need the air cover of the real of, of, of the market to come in. And I think it is coming in. I really do. And I do think that they're basically, you're starting to see the pivot. You're starting to see very cerebral, very smart people. Um, you know, Mr. Williams, head of the New York Fed, is, is now talking, you know, early next year, like early mid. Well, I think it might be depending on how the, defl- the inflation and how it manifests. It might be early and it might be the fourth quarter. But for equity investors... Right. I mean, the point is, is that whether it's fourth quarter or first quarter, right, whether as long as people recognize the fact that um, it's going to happen, then then you're in a slow growth, disinflationary, declining rate environment, build your portfolio accordingly. And that's what you're seeing right now. That's why tech took off. Right. That's why, you know, AI took off. Right. And, And guys, I don't know where you guys are on crypto. I didn't want to get into crypto because that's a whole big can. Oh, but here's the last thing I read oh, yeah. stuff on you. <laughs> Wall, Street, Wall Street is embracing it. I know. Do, I read your article, right? Like do that. not ignore Larry Fink. Do not ignore what the largest asset manager in the world is doing. And in April, in April, I'll say to tease you guys, in April of next year, you have the halving cycle, right, where you increase the scarcity. Right. We are going to go into the digitization of physical asset, which is somewhere between a 16 to 20 trillion dollar market. And you're going to go through a halving cycle in Bitcoin, which is highly, highly bullish for the asset class. 
And so I I would suggest, and so it, to me, it, 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 everything is lining up for like in the 90s when it was the internet. And it was, uh, uh, you know, it was all those media companies, right, embracing the internet. And you had Bill Gates and Microsoft and Windows. So you had an upgrade cycle, right? You had the baby boomers in their prime age of, of housing formation and investing, right? So, and then you have, it was Japan, right? With the, the deflationary uh, essence. Well, now it's China. You have the millennials. You have AI. You have blockchain and tokenization, right? And here's the thing. Think about what happened with NVIDIA. I'll just use that in Microsoft as the poster child of AI. Right. When we start, when Wall Street starts embracing crypto, right, and starts and, and, and here's my here's my view. Right. They're not going to think of Bitcoin in terms of the Wall Street embrace is they're not saying that they they give it the blessing. Right. What they're saying, if you want to trade it, we will provide you a regulated environment that it can be trade if you want a custody platform we will custody for you and they will make a boatload of money doing that so think about the right. earnings potential so let me get i was negative on the banks let me give you the long-term positive on the banks right if if as and when they embrace this like i think you know i think the earnings numbers for jp morgan city uh, and I'll just say, I'll just throw Royal Bank out there for an argument's yep. sake, because I think they'll be the first to embrace it in Canada. And oh, by the way, don't discount the fact that the TSX doesn't know what go is going on because of the fact they own 51% of the Boston Options Exchange. And the platform, the digitized platform, the blockchain platform that has been blessed by DTC and CDS and the and the SEC was beta tested with the Boston Options Exchange, which, oh, by the way, is owned by the TSX 51%. Remember, they got that through buying out the Montreal Exchange, right? So this is like, it. this is all going to happen. And then all of a sudden you sit there and go, Jamie Dimon goes, oh, yeah, by the way, we're trading crypto and our numbers are way up because you know what? You know, you got to imagine the head of trading is going to Jamie in a budgeting meeting and saying, dude, can you get off this? Because if I trade a crypto, if I trade the bid ask on a Bitcoin is like $750, right? The bid ask on, on Apple is a penny. Okay. Can you let me make some money, dude? Can we make some money? Right. That's where we're going. That's where right. it is going to be huge. So to, so to have the bull market that I think we're going to have, it's going to be innovation. It's going to be growth stocks. But I also think that there's going to be a huge renaissance in traditional finance companies once they embrace blockchain and, and, and digital currencies and crypto. Huge renaissance. And I think that the earnings potentials for the companies that embrace it is way below where the street expects. That's why I'm bullish into the end of the decade. Um, so we have one more video uh, that I want to show everybody and why, my, why I'm going to nickname you Nostradamus. Um, rookie, could you play the last one minute video of uh, Dr. J on BNN, please? And then I've got. Um... 
Is that the reality of the situation or is it just that everybody's been piling into tech and we don't have that much uh, of tech? We've got energy and we've got bank stocks and banks in both sides of the border have been challenged. 37 percent. That's the biggest misnomer. 37 percent of the stocks in the S&P 500 beat the S&P. 37 and now it's starting to broaden out. Right, we're going back to old highs. At the beginning of last year, or at the end of last year, I said 4,800 on the S&P 500, right? Everybody thought I was crazy. We're gonna get there, right? And the fact that I'm trying to say is, look, in a Bank of Canada can say whatever they want, but capital looks at the data. And the data is saying that we are dramatically slowing and inflation is coming down and the risk is deflation. Bank of Canada and the Fed can say whatever they want capital moves. And what they're doing is they're positioning themselves for a slow growth deflationary environment. That's what the money's doing. That's what capital is doing. And all I'm trying to do at Wellington as an independent, right, not tied to a bank, is to sit there and say, this is what the data is saying. This is what these folks are saying. Invest accordingly. So that's why now we're sitting there going, what are we doing? We're selling a little bit of the NASDAQ 100. And what are we doing? Mid caps are starting to outperform, right? The bottom third of the S&P 500 is starting to outperform. The NASDAQ 100 was up almost 40% in the first half, and the TSX was up low single digits. That's a fact. That's global capital markets stating and making a statement. So just for the record, that was uh, just after the Bank of Canada in July uh, did their most recent rate hike. Just so for everyone is aware, uh, Trevor just had connection issues, as we told you. So he is still watching. Just um, It was just in and out. But I have a list of questions from him as well. We put him in the closet. Um, as of today, which is uh, August the 10th, um, out of the six major banks based on the stock price on that uh, video that we just showed, um, Every single one, except for CIBC, CIBC is just slightly above as of 9, 9 a.m. this morning. It could have changed. But every single uh, five out of the six major banks in Canada were down, are, are down more than 20% since you aired that episode in one month. So, sir, uh, <laughs> you, you did, unfortunately, uh, call it. Why are you buying and owning Canadian banks? Um, which is my, my hat to you um, as to uh, what you were trying to call. Now, uh, the, the follow-up to that question is a lot of people are basically saying that the reason why the Bank of Canada keeps doing what they're doing is because of the Volcker fear. Like they don't want to wear the albatross of um, being the, the Fed chair or being the head of the Bank of Canada because of the Volker sitting on his hands for as long as he did, letting inflation run wild because he doubted his data. Um, and just to that point, um, not he he didn't say this specifically or, or verbatim because uh, I have a huge amount of respect for for Benjamin Tolf, uh at CIBC, but he thinks rate cuts are happening in Q2 of 2024. But he didn't say this, but from the interview that I saw on BNN that rate cuts might not happen until that time. And mainly because, you know, uh, they really want to create pain or I personally think potentially a bit of arrogance. They don't want to look like they, they're a bunch of fools. Um, so we, Trevor and I ran a, uh, a, a situation. My mortgage comes up 
um, in October of 2024. I am in a fixed purely by happenstance. I got a 2.69 refi. Okay. My income and my wife's income has only grown since uh, October of 2019. And uh, Trevor and I, I have no debt, zero, except for a HELOC and a mortgage. And um, uh, wife has, an, according to TransUnion, wife, wife has a 879 credit rating. I have an 871 credit rating. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, she always you. does. I, don't <laughs> mean, I have no clue how my wife met her. Yeah, but you've met her. Like, I mean, that makes complete sense, right? Um, well, definitely she, in the looks department, Curry, that's for sure. Oh, 100%. 100%. <laughs> I'm way above my league in this. Oh, point. yeah, me too. Um, okay. But the situation is, when Trevor ran the numbers, if, if interest rates don't get cut, uh, like, I would barely qualify with what I have right now based on the overnight lending rate, based on the stress test. And 55% of mortgages in Canada come due within the next two years. Do you want to speak to that? And this is kind of maybe your your cry that the you're, you're kind of hitting the bell here. Because if someone like now, I we've got resources. We've got the ability to kind of maneuver. But I Well, mean, that's the explosion that Dr. J was talking about, I think, right? Right? Like, Dr. J, you want to go on that, please? Yeah, I think... You know, think about Brandon. What, what you're talking about. Go back to the very beginning, right? So where I dif where I differ from uh, the consensus on Bay Street is, and you touched on it, right? Uh, the old orders of autos from 12 months ago are eventually going to roll off, and the economy is going to look really solid, right? Okay, that is that is coming your way. Okay, this is like a suicide pass in hockey going across the center. You're going to end Scott Stevens is playing defense. That's oh, going to hit no. you. Right? <laughs> That's going to hit you. So you just already, you are, you know, with the real estate and all this type of stuff. So we're there. Right? So the problem, the problem, and I don't understand why people don't, people don't de deconstruct the data to sit there and go, if you take out autos, we're there right now. And that's and that and smart money does that, right? So you said Lacey Hunt in the United States, right? He does that, right? You uh, so you you sit there and you know the nuances, and you sit there. If we were back in high, uh, sorry, in university, we would take that data out, right? We would sit there and say the economy looks too strong because of the 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 the, the lag in orders in autos because of the because of COVID, right? We would we would adjust. Right. So the question you have to ask yourself is, yes, you're absolutely right. So if that is the case and they are smart, cerebral people that look at the same data that you and I are looking at and we're not we're, there's no cold fusion going on here. Right. We're just being this is just common sense. So and then I sit there and, I say, and I sit there and I say, take out autos. Retail sales is negative one and a half percent. And that's 60 percent of GDP. OK, so. When, when when people sit there and say they're going to go into the second half, right, what, with what Mr. Tal says, I say, why? What data? And this is where I go in fact, just show me the data. And, and and so I grew up on the buy side. And so why I talk like this, this is the what the market did to me, right? This is And so if I went and said that in front of 25 uh, PMs, institutional PMs that have billions of money at risk, dollars at risk, I would be shredded, absolutely shredded, because somebody would sit there and go, what? 
X retail sales, I mean, X autos, this negative hat, one and a half, what's going to happen? They're going to fly this, the plane into the side of the mountain. So, so, so yes, if they don't cut rates, then it's going to get nasty. And all I'm trying to do is live, having my next door neighbor in Annapolis who owned the largest private nursery in the Washington DC area, right? Right. Um, Homestead gardens who, by the way, members of the feds shop there, right? I was in Nantucket on July 4th, right? He hung himself in his boat. He hung himself in his boat house. Okay. It was all the rage locally. Right. And I don't say that, you know, so it was funny because I talked to my friends in, in D.C. when Powell last year at Jackson Hole, which should be very interesting. Started talking about we're going to introduce real pain. Right. And everybody phoned me up and I go, yeah, I got a pit in my stomach. Why? Because we up here don't understand what is waiting for us. If we blow totally the real estate market up, we have a false sense of security and whether it's suicide couldn't get into my community one night because one of the individuals a businessman had a gun to his head because his business went belly up because of what happened in the subprime crisis but i can go on and so when i was talking to my friends down there go powell using that term was really did you feel the same way and these are guys that are working in the financial industry he goes yeah right he goes how he goes there. The question: How does it play up in Canada? They say they don't. They don't realize the pain that's going to come to them if they blow this real estate market up. It's going to get really not. It's going to get personal. It's going to be family changing. It's going to be life changing. That's all I'm trying to do. And 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 it's it's um, you know what? If it happens, I, I, at least I can say I tried. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, at you know what? I can, in I can try. You know, and here's the, the here's a little, you know, like Jeff is not only a builder and a developer, but he's one of the top realtors for Royal LePage, which is the lar- one of the largest uh, real estate companies uh, in Canada. And like you, you, you know, Jeff, you've been saying it, Bondo, you, you're a real estate lawyer and, 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 you know, incorporate and you do wills and POAs. And like we're we see these people come across our desk and, and I think you touched on it maybe about like 10 minutes ago. And that was like, you used the term, they're in a cone of silence. But, you know, Trevor has famously said they're up in an ivory tower. The, the, the problem is, is that when you get people who, you know, when I was on the radio and, and they asked me about my uh, my opinion on the, the recent federal budget back in April. And I just said, if you make between 50 and $150,000, and I can't believe this is coming out of my mouth right now. You are getting squeezed like you wouldn't believe because your tax rates jumped to 47% over a combined in Ontario, the province of Ontario. Sorry, I should 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 put context to that um, of over $96,000 a year. You, you lose 47% of your income to tax. Then on top of that, you make too much money over 50000 to get any type of government subsidies. As a matter of fact, that's when the most government subsidies get clawed back. Um, and then, but these, you know, Tiff McCallum, for example, makes $400,000 a year. Well, it's pretty easy to make monetary, um, you know, 
policy decisions when you're not feeling it in your pocketbook either. Right. And that is the, that's the arrogance of it all. And then we have all levels of government. I just I can't stand politicians to begin with who then turn around. And in the beginning uh, last year, when this all started, they started saying greedflation, greedflation. They even pulled in all the grocers. Right. If you if you call up at the House of Commons in Ottawa and then Statistics Canada just came back most recently. What two, what a month ago, boys, I, sh I shared that article. Stats cans like. No, it's not. No, no. As a matter of fact, it's uh, it, it, this is all <laughs> to your point. It's all interest rate related. And, and this has nothing to do with greedflation. Um, so I'll let you go on that. Um, on, on that. Yeah, I, I, I just it's, you know, one of the one of the things I learn in, in, in this business is it, 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 it what it's great about is that if you look at the data, and um you know and you have a voice you 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 create that other side of the argument right so in a in a, in a market there are always differing views right some people think that you know um you know nvidia shouldn't be bought for example there's a bull and bear case and always is always the case right so so i, I i'm of the view that um what i try to do and when i talk to people is i say I don't want to get into the fact, I don't want to get into the argument about, uh, you know, green and the policies of Ottawa. I don't, right. I just, it's, it's not, it's not, it's not healthy. But what I would, but what I would say to you is that when I drive along downtown Toronto and I'm on Bloor street and I see that construction in my mind, that's not real economic growth. Right. One, two, if you increase carbon tax on gasoline and diesel, how that doesn't flow through into food is beyond me, right? So there are, there, there are, yeah, there are there are consequences to the actions, and I think what I find that is so, I I'll use the term frustrating, but it's not it's not. We got into COVID, and when we did, monetary and fiscal policy were aligned, okay, and now monetary and fiscal policy isn't aligned, so. So the problem I have with what the Bank of Canada is doing is the fact that if inflation is caused because gasoline at the pump is going up 15 cents because we as a community have put it, voted in block and we have put in into power uh, a, a, a party that wants to implement the, a, a green platform, right? I mean, you know, we, we voted the ballot box. That's, our, that's what we do in a democracy. That's fine. The problem I have is when the Bank of Canada or the Federal Reserve basically interprets that as the private sector, right? And it's not the private sector, right? Yeah. Um, you know, whether it's, you know, they started off, it was labor way back when, you know, every, now it's not labor and they moved the goalposts. So the, the big frustration I have is the unwillingness for the Bank of Canada and uh, uh, the folks in Ottawa in power and the same thing in the, the fed and and the the washington dc and the administration is not being coordinated right there would be no problem whatsoever if the bank of canada did what it did but it stopped raising rates at two and a half percent right i just think that the last two and a half percent rate hikes were completely and totally uncalled for and they should be as i keep saying they should be taken away because of the fact that 
eventually all of these nuances in the data is going to come to uh, the, the proof is in the pudding, whether it be real estate prices, right? Whatever, 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 whatever that may be. Right. Um, and so that's where my concern is. I wish we could get everybody in the room to, to do that. So is it greedflation? Um, look at, um, I am of a, I'm a big market believer and what will happen will be if prices are too high and people recognize, and this is the big, this is the big sort of the, and it, 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 it it's uh, interesting. I, I, there's a podcast between Jeremy Siegel, who's a, a professor emeritus at, at Wharton, and at, at James Bullard, who is the uh, president of the St. Louis Fed, who's just um, retiring. And it, 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 it was like, it, it, was, it, was very, it was very instructive because, you know, James Bullard, who is a very smart man, was not sitting across and being interviewed by uh, somebody in the media, right? He was being introduced, interviewed by somebody that was, that knows the theory as well as he does. And Jeremy Siegel went to him and said, no, it's not you. What are you doing with the, with the, with the Phillips curve? Everybody knows it doesn't work. And, you know, I'm paraphrasing of course. Right. Um, but on the, the Wharton podcast, he basically, you know, Jim Bullard came clean. He said, we're waiting we're waiting for overcapacity to kick in and we're waiting for the Walmart effect. We're waiting for basically companies to cut costs, sorry, cut prices to defend market share. And we're starting to see it with Tesla, right? We're going to start to see what does that mean? That means you and me and consumers are going to sit there and go, I am not willing to pay $6 for this item in Loblaws or Walmart or Costco or home hard, whatever your favorite retailer is. And once we understand that there's overcapacity and once we understand that we, we, we can wait, then prices come down. Supply, demand, supply, demand. And all we're doing and all we're waiting for is that to happen. Right. And once that happens, my view is, is, is that once that happens, that's where you hear me say overcapacity, right? Once that happens, and consumers realize that the power is in their hands, again, that there's overcapacity global, which there is, we're going to see a dramatic drop in prices. And the big story is going to be deflation. It's already starting to, 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 to seep out in Wall Street right now. This, and it start, people are really starting to talk about it. And it's with, you know, China, right? China is the number one exporter of, of, of autos, right? China is exporting um, steel. Right. We're going back to the old games right now. What you'll hear people say is, well, China's not the United States, which is fair. But guess what? It's not globalization. It's regionalization. You're starting to see CPI in South Korea drop dramatically. Right. You're starting to see deflation being exported from China to Japan. Right. I mean, it may not directly come from China, but it's going to work our way back throughout the whole world because we're interconnected. Right. This, 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 we are an interconnected world. And my concern is, is what does this look like in 25 and 26? And so they should stop. They should cut. And, and once people understand where we are, then let the market work. 
And if people don't want to, if people think that the food prices are too high at, at, at a certain establishment, um, you know, what happened in the 80s, to, to, to use James Bullard paraphrasing him, it's the Walmart effect. Eventually, Walmart's going to cut prices to defend market share. Mm-hmm. 100%, 100%. Absolutely. And then, and then, and then we start, and then what happens? Everybody, because of this, right? Everybody forgets that inflation was all the rage. And remember, what happened to the impermanent, inflation is permanent crowd, right? Where, where's that? Like, let, let's look at the data. Where, where, why doesn't anybody hold any of these official accountable saying, well, like three months ago, you said inflation's, we don't see any, any evidence of inflation. Well, CPI less real estate, uh, less uh, inflation is at 1.8%, down from 10. That's not conclusive evidence that there's deflation, uh, inflation coming down, right? I mean, so when are they going to be held, you know, when are they going to be held accountable? And, I, and, and, and to me, what I say is they are going to be, they are going to pivot. The data is going to come up. They're just not going to be able to hide behind it anymore. All of the fallacies and all the weaknesses of, of the StatsCan data, and that more specific, not so much stat can data, but the BLS data is going to come to root. And it's the rubber's going to meet the road. And when that happens, it's going to be very difficult for the Fed to start rate keep, keep rates high when you've got that happening, right? And well, hopefully and, it does it before then, right? Hopefully yeah. they're they're wise to it. And well, I think they else. are though, but, but 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 I think they are, and that's the positive, right? I mean, when you really listen to Chair Powell's QA, he's pivoting, he gets it. Like yeah. that's that's where that's where that's where I, I don't think they're out of it. They're not in the corner. They understand it. I think, you know, they're, they're, they're waiting. And are they going to try any more raises though? Are they going to sneak another one in? Or are they done? I think they're done, but I think, I think, but, but, but that's on the assumption that uh, uh, the data continues the way that I think it is. Right. Like we were talking about that. There's no shot. And the, and, and, and the fate, the fear of the fear of a, spike in inflation like a, a, a twin peak inflation episode uh I, I just don't see it because when it happened in the 50s it was the outbreak of the korean war and in the 70s it was the iranian revolution right you had that you had two shocks um uh separated by a, a, a significant period of time what was unique about this episode is we had COVID and then we had uh, uh, war in, in Ukraine, right? You had very close together. So, and uh, uh, aside from assuming that we don't get another shock, a supply side shock, then we're going to two percent at least. And if they keep tightening, I, I you know, uh, my lips to God's ears, we don't get a deflation. Right, because that's going to be the risk. The risk is going to be: Are we going to follow the Japan path? Are we going to go back to a period of secular stagnation and deflation, where interest rate hikes don't work? And that's why, when you hear me when I write about grasping defeat from the jaws of victory, if I could take you back to 2017 or 2000, you know, before COVID. What did we want? We wanted, we had, we had what was called the liquidity trap. We were pushing on a string. We had central bankers screaming and pleading with, with the, with the government, please monetary policies done all it can do. 
We need monetary fiscal policy to help grow. Okay, so fiscal policy went a little bit too far, too fast. Okay, but we got it, right? We got, we got, we escaped the deflationary secular fat stagnation trap, right? We, we achieve escape velocity. We got victory. Why the heck they are threatening victory? by over-tightening because they think that inflation isn't going to go down to 2% with, you know, and that markets don't adjust and inflation doesn't adjust. And, you know, oil, you know, we are now manufacturing more energy in the United States, right? I mean, uh, oil output is at a record high. I, you know, everything that goes into this inflation is permanent. From Kabuki narrative, right? It's all wrong, and they've been disproven, and that's why I, the term I use is we're living in a post-factual world. Facts don't matter. <laughs> well, in the business world, they do. And the point I would make is Tiff Mac, and it kind of was on the fact of what you guys were talking about. They live in Ivory Tower. Tiff Macklin can talk about this in the real world, like in the private, in in the public world. <laughs> Right. If he took what that if he took the data that he had and he presented that to a private board, okay, a private board, right? He would they would just shut him down so quickly it wouldn't be funny. Right? And that's gonna happen. So that's my that's why I'm bullish. That's why I think it's going to happen. And and so and so uh, and the risk is deflation, not inflation. We know how to solve that. And and that's, you know, I, I, I just don't want to take up much more of your time. Um, because we, I've had you for, we, we've had you for close to an hour and 45 minutes. Yeah. Um, we, we want to have you on again, please. Uh, this has been. If you can spare. If you can spare. Do it after they drop rates. Do it after they drop rates. You know, and here's the thing. A lot of people don't realize that disinflation uh disinfl- dis- disinflationary deflation environment yeah. right is, is what caused the great depression you've spoken and about that a couple of times Curry, right right and i, I you know the fear. I, so then i'm so happy i got you on let me, I think let, I'm, let me give you one thing an echo chamber <laughs> ben bernanke at Milton Friedman's 90th birthday, in his speech, came clean and said it was the Fed, when they tightened too much in 1929, that caused yep. the Great Depression. That's Ben Bernanke, Nobel Prize winning economist, former chairman of the Fed. Read his speech. For Friedman's birthday. This time it's not different. We're doing the same thing. We haven't learned from history. But but then I go back and I say, they got to know that, right? Really? Otherwise, that's insanity, right? That's right. Well, as you know, as Mark Twain famously said, history doesn't repeat itself, but it certainly does rhyme. And, you know, You've been, you've been, I got to give hats off to you, sir. Like you have been banging this drum, uh, definitely since the end of 2022. Um, and unfortunately you have been right so far. 
And and I mean that, and because I know you're you're coming from this from a humble perspective. You're not, you don't want to be right, like because well, I you hope know. you're right going forward though too. Like, I, I hope you're I hope right. Yeah, like you're, we're you're banging the same drum are. as you, Jim. Right, Doc. We're we're by, we've we're been trying. Yeah, the same I mean, drum. where's everybody? Being the, the, the point you got to. I mean, so this is just the plug for Wellington, right? This is what we do, and this is what we talk about, yeah. right? Yep. And so what I do at, at Wellington is I talk to the teams and I talk to the clients, right? And you guys can. And, you guys, and then I say to the teams, man, manage your money, manage the money accordingly. You may you may not agree or disagree, right? You can, but the point of view is to sit around the table like we did right now, have a discussion about it, and you may you there might be things you agree with, there might be things that you disagree with, but at least we've had an open discussion about it. And that's the weird one editorial comment coming back to Canada. One of the things that I missed so much when I left was like I grew up on listening to CBC Radio. And I lived, grew up listening to a guy named Peter Zosky. Okay. And Peter Zosky used to have, I think every Tuesday morning, used to have the big three on, which was Dalton Camp, Stephen Lewis, and Eric Cairns. And they left, right, and center. And we used to talk about things up here. Yep. Yep. Right. We used to basically sit there and talk about issues left, right, and center. And you may not agree with what was being said, but at least we had a discussion. And that's you see the different I'm, perspective, right? Right. And that's what yeah. science and research is about. I don't, I am not the font of all knowledge. Mm-hmm. I make mistakes. I have made mistakes. Human. I, I can't foretell the future. But the thing that I find so amazing up here is I'm the only one that's saying, where's everybody else? Like what's going, because they're seeing the data. Right. And, and, and this goes to everything. We, we need to have open discussions. That's it. And then and once we've had the discussions, go off, do what you want to do. But at least we know we've discussed it in an open, respectful framework where we've looked at both sides of the story. And, you know, and Brandon, Josh, Jeff, you guys can make up your own mind, right? I've given you my point of view. There might be some things you like. There might be some things you don't like. That's fair. But we've had the discussion. I don't like the fact. No, I we agree with that. I just don't. I I'm I'm deeply concerned uh, about the dis- disinflationary environment, and that th- that is what really really deeply we all are. Me. We all are right. Like it's and uh, people just don't. You know, like in the province of Ontario, we're more focused on getting calligraphy back into the school system. They should be pushing finance and accounting because people just I don't think realize the economic condition that they're currently in, and it's it's disheartening because i do care i'm not, like i'm capitalistic obviously well you I'm got kids too finance. right right and well I you know it's it's, it's it's demographic what it's really in so so a big book that and he's got a new book out uh uh, uh strauss and how right the fourth turning is a great so get a quick story right i'm I'm sitting there. So my kids played lacrosse and soccer. And, 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 and the weird thing about living in D.C. is, you know, the different jobs everybody has. Right. Sure. So it, it's weird because, you know, you meet somebody who's a secret servant agent or you meet somebody that worked <laughs> at the Treasury or or, you know, I mean, uh, or you meet somebody who's, you know, the political strategist down there are a dime a dozen. So you meet them all the time. So I'm sitting here one dime and. And we're at a, we're at a you know, our Navy intelligence officer or whatever. But you're sitting there and you're at a game. And, you know, we're chatting away and the guy, one, one of the, and I was standing between a democratic strategist and a, and a Republican strategist. And they came up and they said, what book are you reading? Oh, you got to read this thing called the fourth turning. And I go, well, why? Cause this is what Bill's handing out. Right. And I go, Bill, Bill, who it was Bill Clinton? Right. 
so 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 the 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 this theory is the fourth turning it talks about 80 year cycles it talks and think about this right 80 years 2025 every 80 years we go through major structural change right when you go back 80 years when was it 1945 post world war ii the clash of two major demographics they're talking about this right that's what we're going through and then you go back when was it when was it again it was the u.s civil war right mm-hmm. what is what is the forcing function the rise of populism right and so they they all know this right the smart that the people that are cerebral that are reading this they all know this and and it's not to say that one one demography the boomers are right or the millennials are right what i basically say is look the boomers like to buy gold right and the millennials want to buy and the millennials want to buy bitcoin for the same reason for the same reason right because they feel that the us dollar is going to hell in a handbasket yada 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 and to, so so for me i sit there going back it, it, it's it's the music is playing you can see you can see things going the way that 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 it's going to be very constructive i'm very bullish on canada on the long term just not um, banks right now well you know what Maybe we have now. to do as a fiduciary is i am not clear 100 percent that you know or i get calls about what about u.s regional banks and i know u.s regional banks oh look at them they're really uh, you want to buy them and I, here's what i learned let's make sure the bank of canada and the fed get it and they start communicating about that they're going to pause and they're going to start cutting here's the term we want we want jay powell to sit there and say we are sufficiently restrictive not restrictive sufficiently restrictive once they say that term then if you go back in history the next move is a cut does he say it at jackson hole does he say it in the fall we're really close we're really 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 close well, we want to have you on again. Uh, we will definitely have you on again 100% after Jackson Hole, um, you know, which is coming up, I know. But, um, but you know, in the fall, just on that, because I also want to tackle or we want to tackle this whole notion of modern monetary theory. Yeah. Uh, as I say with a tongue-in-cheek, I talk about it, whatever, um, and have your opinion on that. But we'll, 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 We'll let you go to right now. I, I, but true story. I'm from Timmins and I worked in the gold mine, Jim. And uh, yeah, you did. So there you go. We're, right? we're going to have you on again. Um, please stay on after we come back from our ending and 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 just just to, to chat and we'll exchange details and stuff. But Bondo, can you please take us out? Wait, 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 wait! Before we go. Oh wait! Happy 14th birthday to my son, Ryder Collins. Happy birthday, Happy birthday Ryder. Ryder. Happy birthday, Ryder. Happy Jeff birthday. doesn't normally. Jim. I'm from here, buddy. <laughs> Doc, uh, this is how important you are. Jeff doesn't do anything on any of his family members' birthdays. It's their <laughs> day. family. I'm but, humbled. But he took this time frame apart to, to, to do this show because we Because you're you a Bills on. fan and a Leafs fan. That was the main <laughs> thing. And, but, and, but, and hey, guys, I mean, I mean, the way you want to play this is housing stocks, right? This is exactly yes. like the housing, the margins, the margins are in housing. 
right? The margins are going to be in it. This is going to be fine. We're going to be fine. We just got to make sure with certainty that they don't blow it up and everything's going to be good. Everything's going to be good. That's what we're thinking. Help us help you stay informed. Bye, everybody. Looking to make the most out of this life and optimize your personal wellness? Then check out the Natural Man Podcast. Join me, host Mike C, as we explore all areas of human wellness, physical, mental, and emotional. Learn strategies to optimize your own well-being and be in the driver's seat of your own health. Remember, your doctor works for you. Learn biohacks, neurohacks, ways to improve sleep, and ways to optimize your body and your mind. Check us out on Apple, Spotify, the Fountain app, and at naturalmanpodcast.com. I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people. He, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. Had all, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast. Heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from JeffWoodsRadio.com. Produced by Cryer Media and distributed by the Sound Off Media Company.